If you're new with us, we've been doing a study through the Apostles' Creed, and we come now today to consider what we've been singing about, the second coming of Christ. He will come from heaven someday to judge the living and the dead. So I'll read this and would like you to follow along with me as I read this aloud. Now, you know, on second thought, it's up there. Read along with me. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Father, again, we come to you in prayer. I, I verbalize this prayer, but I Pray, Lord, that everyone in his or her heart is also crying out to you for wisdom, for an anointing of your Holy Spirit to hear your word, to hear the words of Jesus in a very, very serious and solemn kind of way. Because, Father, we know that the Lord Jesus is coming. Oh, what a blessed day that will be for those of us who know Him, who call Him by name. But that day will be something else for those who have rejected Him throughout the world. And so, Lord, I pray that today, at least those in this building, this congregation, that we would hear and that we would respond as we ought to the Word that is proclaimed We thank you because we know that you listen to us, that you hear us, and that you will answer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love meeting new people in the church, and this morning we had a a packed house over in the the house uh, for membership matters. One of the things we did was to go around and to introduce ourselves, and um, I was thinking about conversation. When you first meet someone, what are the normal kinds of questions that you ask? Well, obviously, if you're meeting someone for the first time, you would probably ask his or her name, and then you might ask, as often I do in church, or we ask it over there, where, where are you from? 
And then we probably would make a statement like, tell me about your family, and you can go on and on. I looked online for good starter questions, had everything from, tell me about the last good meal that you had, tell me about your worst haircut. Now, probably if you're brand new, I'm not going to ask that. I don't expect you to ask that of me. I've got a horror story about that, and some of you remember. But as you get to know somebody, are there, are there questions that are good to, to kind of get deeper and to probe? Are there questions that are off-limits? Such as the question that I hope that ultimately we can get to in any kind of relationship that we have. The question, what will happen to you when you die? The topic of salvation is one that can make a lot of people squirm. I remember years ago when I was in seminary and worked for an organization that had an outreach to uh, high, high school kids that one of the leaders came and listened to one of my talks and I was a student at Southwestern Seminary. I had grown up talking about salvation. We use that word a lot around here, but in that talk that night, they didn't want to call it a sermon, it was a talk, but in that talk that night, I had talked about being saved. And so when I met with the leader of that organization a little bit later on for him to give me some helpful insight, he said, Marty, it would probably be helpful if you don't use churchy terms like salvation. But I began to think to myself, you know, if you believe the Bible, and if you believe in Jesus, and if you know the, the story, you know, there's a grand story. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, and all of them are good, but there is a grand, what you might call a meta-narrative that runs throughout the length of the Bible that takes in all of the chronology that's found in the Apostles' Creed. And it says basically this, that Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins. And just so you'll know, the summary that you can see in your worship guide, I, I want to just walk you through that. We're not going to say it today, but I want to walk you through that because the Apostles' Creed really takes us all the way back to eternity past. And then in time, we affirm with each other, we confess that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, who is the creator and maker of heaven and earth. And then we move on. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived in time by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. Now, all of this, you get the picture, is all in the past. We talked about descending 
to the dead several weeks ago. He went to the place of the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Now, watch this, because that's still in the past. That's something that he did. But then we move into the present. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And last week, we looked at some of the things that he has done and is doing for us. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. He birthed the New Testament church. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate right now before God the Father. But then today we leap into something that is yet future. And that I've labored with all week and I labored with this morning because And Jan and I even talked about it on the way. How can we get our arms around the reality that there is an event that is future? We don't know how far in the future, and it is in the statement, from there. From where? From where he ascended. From where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he shall come not just his second coming, but he's coming to do something very specific. He is come, coming to judge the living and the dead. I didn't know this when I started studying this particular topic. I, I knew that, that this theme was pronounced throughout Scripture, but I, I really had no idea I was shocked when I started studying it. In fact, the quote over here on your quotes from George Sweeting, I want to go over that too. That is not a misquote. It's not a typo. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of promises about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament. And 17 Old Testament books give prominence to this theme. Of the, now get this, of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on Christ's second coming. Now, if something is mentioned, listen to this, if something is mentioned once in the authoritative Word of God, and we need to listen to it and get it, how much more do we need to listen to something that has such prominence in terms of the emphasis. This was, as you saw a few moments ago, and you'll see this in a few more minutes, a vital part of Jesus' teaching. Did you get that? Jesus was teaching there in Matthew 24. What was his basic message to us? The whole thing of the coming of Christ. What was his basic message? Be ready. Be prepared, like the old Boy Scout motto, but much more so. Be prepared. Be on the alert. Live in light of His coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, by living in the dead, we'll find that this is a biblical phrase. 
It simply means that when Jesus comes, there will be people living on the earth. They will be judged. But there will be many, many people who have already died, and they will be raised to be judged too. In other words, no one, no one escapes his coming judgment, even if you don't believe in it. This theme was obviously, we read the quote a minute ago from George Sweeting, in the minds of the early Christians, they consistently taught and preached it. Now, I want you to listen to some of the preaching of the apostles, and I, I, had, to, I had to really, I had four pages of notes this morning, and I knew that I wouldn't get through all of them. I had to pare this down, so what I'm giving you is only representative but, but I, I chose these several passages of Scripture out of the preaching of the New Testament apostles to show you how prominent this was in their minds. Here, here's the first one. Now, what's prominent to me about this, this is the first sermon in the New Testament. In, in terms of the church, the birthing of the church, the, the book of Acts, this is Peter right out of the chute. Now, get a picture of this too. He's preaching to Jews. What's, what really speaks to me as you see some of these others is that every, every ethnic group, every person needs to hear this. Here was part of Peter's sermons. Now, here I'm going to read this, but I want you, I want you to, to, to emote not out loud necessarily. I want you to do it internally. But I want you to get a feel from reading. When I read through these, do you get a feeling of woe or do you get a feeling of wow? Okay? For, for you personally. And maybe you would be emoting for others as well. But I, I want you to, to really get into these passages. So here is... Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he says this, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. How you feeling so far? The great and magnificent day, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Again, how are you feeling? Now, let's go on. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Do you see how that in the same couple of verses, the same basic structure paragraph of the preaching of the second coming of Christ, there is both a sense of woe and there is a sense of wow. And I'm going to say this in a minute. I'll give you a preview. It all depends on your relationship with God through Christ. This is later on. Peter's making a transition. He's preaching to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. 
So he's, he's stepping out of the, the preaching he'd done before was to Jews, but he does not change the message. He commanded us, he said to Cornelius and his family, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one, Jesus, appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. How do you feel about that? Again, it's going to be largely determined by your relationship with God through Christ. And then let's move to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Here he is preaching to to a, a group of absolute pagans. This is his Mars Hill sermon in Athens. So look at how the congregation changes, but the message never does. It may change the trappings, the containers, and things like that. The message must never change. And here's what he said to that group of people. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, that's another interesting aside. Look at how often that term shows up. Because, why should you repent? If you're here today and you're a Jew or you're a Gentile who's close, you've been under the preaching of the Word of God enough to to kind of, you, you know, you're, you're a follower of God as much as you can be, but you've never professed faith in Christ. Or let's say you're here today and you're just a rank pagan. What's God's word say to you to do? Repent. And it gives a very specific reason. Because. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So Jesus and the apostles all affirm that Jesus will return literally and bodily in judgment on sinners. That's the woe, okay? but then to bless those who through faith in Jesus Christ know Him and love Him. That's the wow. And I read to you from the the Apostles' Creed, giving you the grand overview, the the meta-narrative of Jesus coming into the world. Listen, folks. His second coming to judge the living and the dead is the consummation of all of this. And there's a part in the Apostles' Creed that comes after that that tells us about what we're supposed to be doing now. But this phrase alone tells us this is it. This is the consummation. This is Jesus' finale. You remember in our studies when Jesus came the first time, He came as Savior and Redeemer, but He came as a humble baby, a lowly infant. History hardly even remembers Him or noticed this Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes. The first announcement was to lowly shepherds. When He came the first time, He came in rank, utter humility, but when He comes... 
from where he is now, seated at the right hand of God, things are going to be very different. He is going to come as the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord who is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And He will come, as we were singing a few moments ago, as the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Part of God's vindication of His Son is that the very one who was so wrongly judged by humanity will now come to righteously judge every single human being. I changed that. I was going to say humanity, but I wanted to bring that down home to all of us. And if not us just individually, then our circle of relationships, family, extended family, friends. He is coming to judge every single human being. The one who was judged will become the judge. That's without doubt. The language of Scripture is clear and it's consistent. Let me say it again, what I said a few moments ago. No one will escape his judgment. Let's look at three things, or the second thing, actually. Not only is it an important theme, but the second thing is this. The biblical truth of Jesus' second coming to judge involves both wrath and reward. And again, I chose these words very carefully. Try to bring it down personally as much as I can. I know this is a sermon. It's a monologue. It's me talking and you listening. But as much as you can, put yourself in this situation. That all of a sudden, I don't know how we would see it. The Bible just indicates that we will. I was looking up at the evening sky last night and thinking about this. But the skies will be split apart. Now, imagine. Imagine that happened in three minutes. Okay? I don't know how we would see it. Maybe the the building would be split apart. Do you think that would get your attention? Another earthquake? No. Much greater than an earthquake, but the sky will split. Three, three minutes. Just imagine that Jesus were to return during this service. Everyone here this morning. Some of you thinking that you had a lot of time, I'm talking to Christians as well as non-Christians, a lot of time to, to, to get things right. You, you know you need to. You're not working for your salvation, but you, you know you just need to do some things in light of the second coming of the Lord. I think a lot of you would be relieved that He would find you here worshiping. I hope that many of you would be relieved when He came back because he can read your mind. But 
See, let's expand it, everyone in the world. Do you realize that, and, and again, I can't, I can't fathom how all this works together, but do you realize that when he comes, every eye on earth will see him? And then all of a sudden, all those who are day, dead, who have already died, they'll be raised. All those folks over in Spring Creek Cemetery, Kathy Herndon, who's just been buried there, raised everybody, everybody. I, I said it before, no one escapes this. And it says in the Bible, here's what's going to happen. All of us, all of mankind, every individual who has ever lived will be raised and they will give an account to the one who is to judge the living and the dead. Yeah. If I were an old school evangelist, I would tell this heart-rending story of a near-death or a death experience. I'm not an old-school evangelist. I just want to give you this word, but here, here is the Bible. I, I looked around, I thought, what can I, well, why don't I just use the Bible? Because the Bible tells us what it will look like. This all goes together, it flows into the next slide. And let me tell you something. When this happens, when the, when the heavens have been split open and everyone living and dead stands before the Lord Jesus Christ to whom the Father has given judgment, listen, there will be no distractions. I'm just, I'm not pointing to the students only. Adults get distracted, get a buzz, bzz, bzz. Oh, let me, let me see who texted or emailed. Oh, and then while I'm there, well, let me go over to Facebook and let me go and check social media and there will be none of that. Here's a picture. Here's, here's what's going to happen. And, and again, we were talking this morning. How, how do you get into the reality? Well, the, I, all I can do is just we can read the reality. Of, here's what it's going to look like. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all of the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all of the peoples. It's the way the word nations should be translated. He will separate people. See why it's individuals? No individual will escape. He's going to separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. This is really going to happen. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, now I asked a minute ago, is the reality of the second coming of Christ a woe or a wow? And how do you answer that? You answer it out of your relationship with God through Christ right now. 
Oh, but, but I'm thinking about doing that sometime soon. No, 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 no. You do that based on your relationship right now because it's already been over three minutes and he could come in the next five. King will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. How do you get blessed by the father? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. For those those who have rejected Christ, they go away into condemnation. Depart from me, he says. But for those of us who know God through Jesus Christ, blessing, enter into the joy of my kingdom. How can that be? What makes the difference? Why is it so important? And We can't know 100%. But as much as we can, why our family and our friends, extended relationships, they know God through Jesus Christ. And it's because of this. This is the only way that we can know that we're the blessed entering into the joy of the kingdom. Not because we're Baptists, not because we've worked for it or earned it. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not for us to deal with sin. And you understand that, don't you? Because He's already dealt with our sin on the cross. but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. You know, I, I, I think, and I don't know all of the reasons in my own life, I've tried to examine that this week and say, what can I do in the future? But I don't know a, a lot of Christians who are, who just talk about it, they're eagerly. Now, I'll tell you this, When I visit someone who is older or or is approaching death and they know it, and apart from a miracle, they are going to meet God, they do talk about it. It's a blessed hope to them. They're eager for the return of Jesus. They would just as soon He come back right now instead of waiting to go be with Him. Here's another thing that we need to understand about the judgment of Christ, and I I wonder if this robs our joy sometimes. I I don't know. I think for me it's distraction. A lot of us are just distracted with living, don't you think? And, And so that's why we need the correctives. That's why we say that the Apostles' Creed gives us some of these essentials, these correctives to pull us back, to bring us back. But but we need to understand something about Christ's judgment. Sometimes we struggle with this concept. Everyone who is judged will, get this, will agree with his judgment. Let let that soak in. Let me say it again. Everyone who is judged, and how many people are going to be judged? How many people in this room? Oh, everybody. There is not one person throughout all of history who will be judged who will say 
God is unfair. They will all agree with the justness of his judgment. Notice I did not say they will like it. Even those who have rejected Jesus will agree with the righteousness of his judgment. Those who are in hell and who will be in the lake of fire for an eternity, they will not like the fact that they are there, but they will fully agree with the rightness of Christ's verdict as much as those who go to heaven do. The veil will be pulled back from them and they will see it. If you don't believe me, go to Luke 16, not right now, but later on today and read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You'll find that the rich man did not like where he was at all. He wanted relief, he wanted comfort, but he never said one thing about God's judgment being unrighteous because he knew it was. Here's another thing. Boy, talk about being old school. This judgment affirms the wrath of God. Wrath is out of vogue. It's it's not a popular subject. Just try it on your friends. What did you do in church Sunday? Oh, we sang and we had the Lord's Supper and the pastor preached. What he preached about? He preached about the wrath of God. Oh. But if I flinch, if you flinch from talking about the wrath of God, then you and I cannot talk about the love of God because they're both taught in the Bible. And just remember this, the wrath of God is not God losing his temper. It's not Jesus getting ticked off. It's not, in other words, an unrighteous anger. I think sometimes we have problems with this because that's the only kind of anger that we know. But God's wrath is always righteous. It's his response, the Holy One, his response, his perfect righteousness to the rebellion of people. And heaven and hell will be the perfect witness to the perfect judgment of God. Now, what does this all point to? It points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ because no sinner is going to be able to find survival in his judgment other than in being in Christ. That is the only means of survival of the fire that is to come. So what should that lead us to? Let's look at the third thing. It should lead people to faith, number one, when they hear about God's wrath to come. He's coming again, and He's coming to judge. People need to allow that to lead them to faith. Some of you in this room need to allow this teaching today to permeate into your heart and lead you to repentance, to faith. But it ought to also lead those of us who know Jesus to greater faithfulness. You see, he hasn't returned so far. I didn't predict, by the way. Don't go out of here saying I predicted. That's the most fruitless thing you can do. You say, be ready. Well, how am I going to be ready? 
well, I'll try to figure out when he's coming back. Don't, don't do that. There have been so many who have tried to do that, and they've failed every time. So that's not the right response. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we know how he will return in judgment. He'll be coming in glory. He'll be arrayed in splendor. As I said a few moments ago, from horizon to horizon, from the setting of the sun to its rising, whatever else you want to use in that, the entire cosmos will see the instantaneous display of the glory of the Lord Jesus. So in light of that reality, what are we supposed to do today, folks? Be ready. If you don't know Jesus, how do you get ready? Repent. Turn in faith to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in the gospel. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe. Listen, folks, you're just going to go into eternity in your state when he comes back. You don't believe you're condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And when he comes, this is the last verse we're going to look at. For all must appear, appear. this is for Christians, before the Bema Seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me just say this. And let it be an encouragement. I really want this message to change us. And you can fall into the ditch in one of two ways that I can work and gain approval before God in terms of my salvation. That's wrong. That's not what Paul is saying here. But he is calling Christians to a growth in holiness. Whatever that looks like for you, Jesus is coming. Be ready. What can I do to make sure that when He comes and He judges me, not for my sins, they've already been judged on the cross, but for my works done after that in the body, whether they are good or evil. Everybody ought to respond. Lost person, repent and come to Christ. Christian, will the Lord find me faithful when He comes back? Father, I am glad to be able to declare, to preach first to myself and then to others the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and oh, how we hunger. The more those of us who know you understand this, we are eager for your return. And we would say with the Scriptures, even so, Lord, come quickly. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there is even one here today who has not repented and turned by faith to Christ, that he or she would do so. Those of us who know you now as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, that we would renew our, 
our lives to you in, in the process of sanctification because you have saved us. Thank you now for the elements, the pictures of the body and the blood of Jesus that we will gladly take in to remind ourselves of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.